today on Ag News Daily. What I think is going to be right around that that nice fat round number of five bucks. Um, you know, we're still a little ways away from that right now. And I think that if we, we can get back down toward that, that's going to be kind of a key technical level for everybody to pay attention to. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr today. Ashton, how you doing today? Did you do anything exciting over the weekend? I really didn't do anything exciting this past weekend, Delaney. Unfortunately, uh, had to do a little bit of moving on with life as one of my friends, he graduated back in May and he's moving on to bigger and better things. And so we had the kind of going away party for him because he's going to get his master's down in Aggie land. So wasn't too happy that we're losing him to Texas A&M, but It's a weird bit of a transition period for me and all my friends, but I'm already looking forward to this weekend because a lot of my friends that have moved away, um, they're all kind of coming back to Lubbock this weekend because there is a wedding for a couple of my friends. So going to be exciting to see everyone. Well, that is exciting. And yes, you are in a weird transition phase where people are getting jobs and getting married and having kids or starting to get into that. And then the other half of your friends are probably still in grad school and figuring out what's next. So yeah, welcome to adulthood, Ashton. Yeah, I can't say that it's a warm welcome, Delaney. It's really been kind of a slap in the face having to pay all of my bills and (laughs) getting myself through my master's program. So I got to say, it's been a little bit of a learning curve for sure the past couple of weeks. Well, that's okay. It's good for you. We're here if you need us. But uh, I didn't do anything too exciting this weekend. I played some golf and I watched the Olympics. So I know we talked about this on Friday. You're not a big Olympics person, but I certainly am. And I've definitely been getting my fix of Olympic games. Well, Delaney, I'm glad that you have been. I've been kind of keeping up a little bit on social media. And I think that one of the big things that people are watching is skateboarding. I don't know if you've seen this, Delaney, but I think a lot of younger women um, kind of have some hard eyes for his name's Jagger Eaton. He's a Olympic skateboarder for the U.S. And I got to say, he's he's pretty cute. So, I mean, I'm having fun watching the Olympics, just maybe not paying attention to, you know, what you're paying attention to. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I haven't watched skateboarding. Yesterday, we watched some volleyball. We watched a ton of swimming. Uh, We watched the triathlon, which I've got to say, just watching it makes me feel exhausted because I think it was like one and a half mile swim, a 26 mile or 25 mile bike ride, and then a six or a six and a half mile run. And these guys, I just can't even believe the kind of shape that they have to be in. But the U.S. actually got sixth place there, which is the highest place any U.S. triathlon athlete has ever gotten in the Olympics. But honestly, there are so many guys that compete in the triathlon. I really feel like they need to recognize more than just the top three because there was like 50 or 60 athletes that were competing in this. But anyways, mostly watching the Olympics makes me feel like I need to get in better shape because as there are some really good athletes that can do some crazy things. But anyways, I tell you what, that's enough of me yapping about the Olympics. But if anybody else is watching the Olympics, we can have an Olympic Olympic watch party. I don't know how we'd set that up, but we could get into that somehow, I'm sure. 
But the other thing that um, has been very apparent while watching the Olympic session, which I'll segue here into some news, has been COVID because obviously the athletes are not wearing masks while they're competing, but they are wearing masks in between those competitions when they're back on the bench or back with their teams. They're wearing masks and there are really, besides the other team members on various uh, country teams, there are really no spectators at any of these games, obviously largely due to COVID. And so on Friday, the Centers for Disease Control reported 64,317 positive COVID-19 tests on Friday, largely due to this new Delta variant. But that has definitely caused some frustration for the markets. And we're going to chat about that a little bit later on here coming up. But uh, definitely seeing that play out across different markets, not just necessarily commodity markets, but it's adding some uncertainty here overall. I got to say, Delaney, I'm a bit worried about the Delta variant as well, just because, of course, like we had with the first wave of COVID, there are some hot spots across the U.S. And I looked up Lubbock's numbers the other day and we're really not too high. So I think I might be in a a good position here, but I want to talk about COVID as well, more so kind of about Tyson and their many lawsuits with people or employees, I should say, who either died or were injured by COVID-19. And I want to start out here talking about Arthur Scott, who worked at the Waterloo plant. He died of COVID-19 last year, but there is a case against Tyson and Scott's family and uh, of several other cases. There's 49 lawsuits involving those Tyson employees, but even so, Tyson claims that it cannot be sued in state court for contributing to Scott's death because the company was trying to secure the nation's food supply and critical infrastructure when it kept the plant open. And so far, this argument appears to be working. Just last month, Scott's family's case was moved from state court to federal court. Action in most of these cases have been suspended while a federal appeals court decides whether they should proceed or be sent back to state court where they originated. By arguing that its response to the pandemic was dictated in part by the actions of former President Trump, the USDA, and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, Tyson is saying the wrongful death and injury claims involve matters of federal law that must be decided in federal courts. And I want to bring things down to Texas because a lawsuit brought by 38 Tyson workers allegedly sickened or killed by COVID is proceeding in federal court with a judge having already ruled Tyson was acting under the direction of federal officials during the pandemic. So it sounds like Tyson is still in some pretty deep water, but there's really not too much movement in these cases so far. So that's just kind of an update for you, Delaney. Well, I'm glad you're staying on top of that because it does feel honestly like just yesterday when this uh, issue surfaced. So I I really hadn't noticed a whole lot of news going on on that front. So I'm glad that you've been paying attention to that because I certainly have been not paying attention to that, Ashton. But one thing I have been paying attention to has been some severe weather, not only here in the United States, but also internationally. We talked, or maybe you talked maybe a little bit about it on Friday, Ashton, and that is some extreme flooding going on right now in China, in the Henan province. And although it's still very preliminary because they're just now starting to assess the flood damage, it did appear that so far 
The heavy rain has killed about 25 people in that province, but also damaged more than a million hogs and chickens and about 1,600 farms. And so while we still don't know the extent of the long-term crop damage, early indications are that about 10% of the province's total crop of corn and soybeans have had some sort of damage. You also look here uh, back, well, I should say we also want to look internationally to talk about what's going on down in South America, because they are also having some pretty extreme cold temperatures for this time of year for them. And as Brazil is trying to chew through their harvest, their corn harvest down there, they did receive some frost last week. And so according to Ag Rural, as of Monday, they said that Brazil's winter corn harvest is about 39% complete compared to 30% the week prior and 53% for this time last year. But Ag Rural says that their harvest pace is accelerating and the frostly conditions last week didn't actually affect farmers in the field as much as they did about three weeks ago. So we're going to continue to watch that story and see how that shapes up. Then Ashton, you couple that with U.S. weather, we're still having pretty hot and dry weather expected across the plains and the Midwest for this coming week or so. There should be some, maybe some potential rain coming later this week, but we even here in Iowa had some unusually warm temperatures over the weekend. And Delaney, I want to add to that because parts of the U.S. might be experiencing some derecho-like storms, unfortunately. So, of course, we have to watch out for that. And it's predicted to be throughout the Great Lakes region and the far eastern Corn Belt region of the U.S. But it's likely that these storms are going to contain hail and high winds. So we're going to have to keep an eye out on potential crop damage in that part of the world. I mean, you experienced that last summer, uh, probably around the same time. I want to say it was in August, of course. So going to have to keep an eye out on those. There's a meteorologist for Brownfield Ag News, and he says that while these areas won't experience the heat and continue drought like other key growing states, of course, crop damage from these high winds is still possible. It certainly is. And yeah, it was just a little under a year ago when we had those derecho like conditions. So hoping we don't see those surface again this year, because uh, I wouldn't wish those on my worst enemy. But uh, there is definitely the potential to have some continued extreme weather here moving forward. So we may have to have another weather chat uh, with the meteorologist actually within the next couple of weeks, especially as we get ready to head into harvest season in you know, just over a little over a month now. Well, Delaney, this also kind of goes hand in hand with weather. I've talked a little bit before, and I think it was with Dawson when you were out last week, Delaney, about Argentina and what's going on down there, because they're in a bit of a drought, and it's really uh, taking effect with the Paraná River. The government of Argentina just earlier today declared a 180-day water emergency for the Paraná River, which is suffering a historic bout of shallowness that has affected the amount of grains that can be shipped from the country's key ports hub of Rosario. So that's just another weather issue that we're really going to have to be paying attention to because, of course, it's dealing with that hot, dry weather, really just drying out that uh, that river. 
Yeah, there is a lot of crazy weather events going on. Yeah, I didn't even know about that one, Ashton. So I'm glad you brought that one up. But like I said, we're probably going to have to chat weather at least once, if not twice more here before we head into harvest. But speaking of weather, I don't really have any other news for today, Ashton, other than chatting weather as it pertains to the markets. We actually will see the official wheat tour starting tomorrow where scouts will head across various states to see just how wheat country is looking. And I'm guessing they may see some shocking or put out some shocking estimates because a lot of wheat country is suffering from some extreme drought right now. But Ashton, do you have any other news before we chat markets for today? I don't. I'm all out. Well, Ashton, let's dive into the markets then and see where things closed for today. Because honestly, I thought we were going to see a lot more weakness today. But we saw the corn and soybean markets have a pretty big turnaround today after trading lower into the overnight and opening this morning. And we'll chat markets here with a brand new voice of the podcast in just a moment to talk about those movements and more. Let's kick things off here in the September corn contract. However, closing up two and a half cents to close at 549 and three quarters. The Dees up three and three quarters cents to close at 546 and three quarters. Soybeans today had some major turnarounds as the August contract added 11 and three quarters cents to close at 1412 and three quarters. The November up six cents to close at 1357 and three quarters. As we continue to watch the action in the spring wheat market, we had a little bit of pullback today with the September contract down four and three quarters cents to close at 878 and three quarters. The Dees down four and a half to close at 867 and a quarter. Hopping over into the livestock markets, we saw some big movement today in the August and October and really across the board live cattle contracts as the August contract added $1.95 to close at 123.45. The October touching $2.05 higher to end at 129.20. In the feeder cattle markets, the strength continued as the August contract added $2.12.5 to close at $162.20. The September up $2.30 to close at $164.82.5. And, and a little bit of mixed trade today in the lean hog market is the October contract up $0.47.5 to close at $93.10. The Dees down a nickel to close at $85.52.5. And, and lastly, wrapping things up here with the Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures. The August contract up $0.11 cents today to close at $16.58. The September down $0.12 cents to close at $16.79. Without further ado, Ashton, let's turn it over to our conversation with Jeff Fossey. Well, folks, for today's hashtag Market Monday episode, we are chatting with a brand new voice to the podcast, Jeff Fossey, senior broker for Capco Futures. Jeff, thank you so much for joining today. Oh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Jeff, we always like to have on new brokers and new analysts because I think you guys provide just a unique way of looking at the markets. Everyone kind of has their own way to analyze the markets. Let's talk a little bit more here before we chat market movement about your background and how you like to view the markets. Will you just give us a little overview on that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've been trading and, and been a broker here. Uh, well, not here with Capco, but I started my career back in the late 90s. Um, and I you know, learned a great deal about how to look at all the markets from a fundamental point of view. And then I kind of switched to the technical side um, because it became simpler for me to identify chart patterns, um, certainly keep up on all the fundamentals, but the chart patterns what moves the market, in my opinion. Um, and if you can read that effectively, 
you know, the fundamentals and everything else should fall in line with what everybody else is, you know, putting forth in the price discovery process. Absolutely. So you're definitely more of a technical analyst, it sounds like, but you do weigh in some fundamentals as well. Yeah, yeah, because you have to know, I think, and in, in, you, you have to be aware of what the fundamental influences are. Uh, for example, it doesn't do you any good to not know that, you know, there's a grain report due out the next day and you put on a position and, you know, it doesn't help you not to do that stuff. You need to have an idea of what the fundamentals are, what the street is looking for, so to speak, uh, and what everybody thinks. Um, and then once you have that, once you have that firm understanding of where the general direction should be, after that, the chart should take over and, and you know, everybody else's opinion starts to be reflected in price rather than words. Absolutely. That makes sense. So Jeff, let's dive right in here and chat about some of the technicals driving or I should say the fundamentals driving the corn market right now, because it seems like we have weather, we yeah. have some sort of weather in the forecast and markets react either one way or the other. But now we've been getting some hot and dry in the forecast for quite some time and markets haven't really seemed overly excited about that. What are you seeing from a technical perspective here? Well, from my point of view, yeah, we all know it's hot and dry here at the moment. Um, I think what folks are looking at, um, specifically the corn market. I mean, I think folks have been looking at this expecting um, all the fantastic demand that we had, you know, throughout last fall and into the early part of the spring here. Um, I think a lot of folks are expecting that to kind of continue. We've just really not seen that. Um, the market has come back a few times in the past, well, I don't want to say two and a half months, we've come back down and kind of flirted with this 100-day moving average. Today, we bounced right off of it here again. Um, you know, we did this about two weeks ago. They traded through it for a couple of days, ran right back up, but the rallies have been getting a little bit smaller. Um, and I think folks are looking out to the weather, but they're also looking at it going, hey, we planted a ton of acreage. And if any of this comes in, you know, we're going to have a relatively large crop. And Jeff, as far as the technicals go here, what are you expecting to see as we head into harvest time? Do you think we're going to continue to bounce off of some of these prices or could we can we expect some sideways action moving forward? Well, I think, you know, we're probably going to see things sideways. I mean, longer term support, I think, is going to be right around that that nice fat round number of five bucks. Um, you know, we're still a little ways away from that right now. And I think that if we can get back down toward that, that's going to be kind of a key technical level for everybody to pay attention to. Um, you know, the USDA, I think, is calling for it. Their last estimate was, what, 560 for their, their average on-farm price. And if that's going to turn out to be a thing, you know, we can't really get too far away from that $5 mark. Jeff, I want to switch tracks here and chat spring wheat because we bounced up, not quite touching 950 last week in the spring wheat contract, September spring wheat contract. We've since pulled back from there. What are you seeing the charts do moving forward? Do you think we're going to consolidate here or is there still some room for upside movement? I think there's still room for upside. Um, the, the reason I think that, I mean, the market rallied dramatically here and I'm waiting for my thing to kind of refresh so I can tell you exactly how much it was. So last week, um, of course, spring wheat, the Minneapolis contract was down about 33 cents. 
Okay, that seems pretty significant at first glance, but you got to remember the week before that it was a dollar three higher. So all they've really done is just retraced about 30% of what they did in a week's worth of time. Um, I think there's still decent support here under the market. Ultimately, I mean, I, I would have thought we would have tested maybe the 860 mark on the way down here in September. Uh, Minneapolis, we didn't quite get there today. Uh, the low here was what? you know, matching or at least testing the low that we, we put in place here last Thursday and bounced a little bit off, off of that here. Based on the way the crop is coming in, I would certainly expect this market to go higher. I just can't do it all in one shot. Yeah. And Jess, I think the other big question is, I mean, there's obviously a big question mark next to production since we have had a lot of wheat country dealing with some uh, potential yield losses here. But for those guys that sold crop a long time ago and are kicking themselves because now we've had this significant rally. What do you recommend for them to be able to take advantage of these potential rallies that we're going to continue to see? Well, I think it's important that you always have to market your grain when you're, when you're making money. So the guys who have already sold it, hopefully they were doing that at a level where they were profitable. And if it's been anywhere in the last month or so, that's certainly been the case. Um, When you're worried about, you know, further price improvement, though, after that, I think the reasonable thing to do is re-own that through call options. Um, you know, for every, you know, set of bushels that you sell, you need to re-own them just a little bit. If you were right and you sold them at the right time, that premium that you spend on the call option really won't matter in the long run. Um, but if you're wrong and maybe you sold them just a little bit too early, you still got the calls there to protect you and, and get you a little bit of price appreciation to help out your bottom line. I'd only do that once or twice, though. I wouldn't keep doing it um, repeatedly unless the market's going to reward you for it. And and Jeff, how do you decide when it's the right time to take that if you only want to do it once or twice in a marketing year? Well, um, say, for example, um, and and this is just round number examples. Say I go out and spend, and and this is probably not a reasonable, and we'll say 20 cents for a call option. If I go out there and spend 20 cents for a call option and I get the opportunity within the next week, two weeks, two months to sell that for 40 cents, if I can double my money, um, if I can, you know, take that 20 cents and turn it into 30, then I'd respend that same amount of money, that original 20 cents. I take the profit off the table, just push that off to the side. I wouldn't reinvest that. Um, but the original money that you spent, as long as the market keeps rewarding you, I keep doing it. When it stops rewarding you, in other words, if you don't get that opportunity to sell those again for a higher price, don't do it anymore. You're done. You sold your grain at the right price at the right time. Jeff, what's your outlook here for the soybean market moving forward? Oh, soybeans are fun. Soybeans are fun. Today was kind of an interesting day. I mean, they, they were looking very, very negative here at one point today. Got all the way down here to what, 13.32 on the low end, came back to close it here, 13.57. You know, some 25 cents or so off the lows of the day. That's a pretty good sign to me. Um, much like the corn, I think folks are looking at the, the, the hot, the dry. You know, how is this going to come when pollination is is in the cards? And I think we've still got a little bit of room higher still, much like the corn, though. I think we planted a ton of acres. And if we don't see any real significant yield loss from this, I think ultimately we'll probably drift a little bit lower still. Jeff, I don't know uh, what region or where your territory is as far as farmers you work with, but what are you hearing from some of those folks as far as soybean and their corn crop, how it's looking this year? 
Um, I, my clients literally all over the country. Um, my guys that are further up north in, in the Dakotas, they're, they're not very happy about the way their, their crop is. And of course, they switched a lot of acres, um, in, from, in North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota, that's primarily where we saw the acreage gain um, in corn this year. Um, guys that did that because it was cost, you know, the price was high. It was a good time to do it. Unfortunately, they're getting, you know, Mother Nature's not cooperating with them. Um, and and for the most part, I, I have to think on balance, the corn crop is going to be okay because what I hear most more and more, I'm starting to become the, of the opinion that whatever loss we have on the Western half of the corn belt, the guys on the Eastern half are going to make up. They're not having any weather problems. They might be getting a little too much rain in, you know, local places, but for the most part, uh, everything from, I don't know if you drew a line from like Chicago to St. Louis and everything East of that is in pretty good shape. Everything West of that, you know, if we see any yield loss, it's not going to be up until the further Northwestern spots in the country. And uh, let's jump over here, Jeff, and chat protein for a second. The October live cattle contracts looking pretty good, finally. I mean, we've we've seen a little bit of pullback, but it looks like we're starting to maybe make our way back up here. Do you think that there is some more potential upside, or, or are we about at the end of our usual seasonal summer rally here for cattle? Well, we may be getting to the end of that, um, but I think last year kind of knocked the seasonals off their axis, if you will, a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and that's just that's just my impression from, you know, we we still have some seasonal tendencies to these markets. They're just delayed a little bit. And I think that's just an extension still from, you know, everything that we've gone through for the last 18 months or so. Um, I think that 130 mark here in the October cattle is going to be very, very important. Today we finished 129.20, uh, you know, up 205 here on the day. And that's a pretty good sign. This is the best, really, the market's closed, uh, what, since the first of the month? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, we closed at 129.25 that day. So this, in essence, is almost, you know, the highest we've closed here for the month. And to do it at this point on a Monday tells me the market's got a bit of momentum. Now, it's cattle, so that can always change on a dime. Uh, But I think we've got a real good shot here of getting through those previous contract highs that we set here in uh, the middle of June through that uh, 130.47 level. I I do think we've got a chance of getting up there. And I know that uh, Capco Futures does maybe not only you don't only deal with cattle folks, but I know that's one of your guys' sweet spots. What are you advising oh, absolutely. cattle farmers to do right now, ranchers to do right now? Are you, are you suggesting that they go ahead and make some sales, make some hedges, or are you telling them to hold on and just wait a little bit and let's see what the market does? No, I'd always recommend you make the hedge. I mean, in, in my opinion, in our opinion, I mean, if you're buying them right, um, there should be profit margin in the cattle when you're buying them. If there's not, we're of the opinion you shouldn't be buying those animals. Um, so if you're buying them right, there's profit margin in there. You should lock that in as soon as you're able, just, just so you can make sure that you still have that profit margin in each particular animal and you don't let it you know, get drained away. And Jeff, are you are you seeing profits start to return for the cattle producer? Because for a while there, I talked to a lot of cattle farmers that were not feeling too fantastic about uh, continuing to raise cattle with corn prices obviously surging and, and a little bit of lack of demand during COVID. 
Right. Well, and that's a common, that's a, I hear the same thing uh, every day, <laughs> all the time. Um, and the thing that I, that I notice the most um, is, you know, people tend to pick on, um, the, you know, they don't like necessarily the margin that maybe the Packer is making. Um, they think it should be a little bit less. Maybe they want a little bit more of that, or maybe the box beef price that, you know, that you're paying in the, in the retail store, maybe they're seeing that going, well, Hey, I'm not getting that for my cattle. Um, but the biggest difference is they're not using the tools that are available to them. Um, you know, the corn prices that, that ran up here throughout the past, you know, 18 months, not so much in the last three, uh, but the corn prices that ran up over the past year and a half, as long as you've been long corn, you've been able to man- manage your feed costs. Um, and it shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody because you know that you're going to have to, you know, unless you have the ability to graze all these animals, you're going to have to feed them at some point. You're going to have to buy the feed. And when you're hedging, your risk is where your, you know, your biggest risk is where your price problem comes from. And with the cattle, your biggest risk is that your price is going to go down and that your feed costs are going to go up. So how do you manage that? Well, with a short position on either feeder or fat cattle, depending on your operation and long positioning corn. Well, you think it was that easy, but but it doesn't always seem that way, right? For, for producers sometimes. <laughs> well, no, it, it 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 is that simple. It's just that it, it, it's it's not that individually easy, and that's that's the problem that I see. Um, most of the guys that I talk to, they know these things, they understand these things, but we're always holding out for you know if corn ticks down a little bit, well it's going to get a little bit cheaper. Or if my cattle price gets a little bit better, well, it's going to, you know, it's not going to go to 130. It's going to go to 140. Um, you know, there's always that kind of mentality. And I think really what folks need to do is just focus on their profit margins, make sure they're locking those in. Then the price activity really won't matter that much to you. Well, Jeff, unfortunately, we're running out of time for today, but... You've had a lot of good things to say, and I'm sure that we may have some listeners that want to follow up with you and pick your brain a little bit more when it comes to the markets. How can they do that if they do have some follow-up questions for you? Well, you can reach me directly at 815-315-1815. You can send me an email if you like, jefferson at capcofutures.com. Happy to answer anything. Happy to help out any way we can. Fantastic. Well, Jeff, thank you again for coming on and chatting Markets Day. It's been a pleasure. We'll definitely have to have you back on again. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks again there to Jeff for coming on and chatting markets today. It was very interesting to have a new voice on the podcast. Like you said, Delaney, going to have to add him to our rotation. Absolutely. He uh, did a fantastic job there. I love that he combines a technical and fundamental analysis because I think really great analysts do do a combination of both. So we'll definitely have to have him on again sometime soon. But Ashton, we're always having on fantastic guests on the Ag News Daily Podcast. We've got some great guests lined up later this week. So folks, do stay tuned for some upcoming guests. I won't tease it away too much. We've talked a little bit about it. Uh, We're going to be chatting labor, if not this week, the next, to do a special labor deep dive as we continue to see that being a big issue uh, since post-COVID. So stay tuned for that. Follow along with us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we'll be sharing more great content there as well. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.